This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. We're all familiar with the boy who lived, Harry Potter. The books, the films and the world that author J.K. Rowling built became a global phenomenon. So in light of the 10th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, I thought it'd be fun to explore exactly how this franchise shaped culture for an entire generation. I'm Dashran Johan and this is Today I Learn. On the show with me today is fellow Potterhead, Sharmila Ganesan from Popcorn Culture and By The Book. Welcome to the show, Sharmila. So excited to talk to you about this. Yes, yes. Um, I'm very excited. Um, always happy to talk about Harry Potter and always happy to talk to you. Okay, so let's start from the top. I mean, it's a very popular um, franchise, a very popular story, but perhaps in brief, you could just remind us again what exactly um, Harry Potter, what the story is all about. Harry Potter is essentially the story of um, a boy who uh, finds out that, essentially finds out that he comes from a family of um, of witches, witches and wizards. And uh, not only that, that he's actually one of the most significant people in the the secret world of magic that exists with uh, alongside the human world. Um, and then this unfolds a whole series of... Um, events where he needs to fulfill his legacy it's a it's a classic it's a classic hero's arc a hero's narrative but it's also sort of uh, uh, I think it spans different genres in the sense that it takes on fantasy but it also uh, takes on that British boarding school trope Um, it's a children's book Um, so yeah I I mean I'm doing such a shoddy job of summarizing the story Um, but I think it's safe to say that it's it's the story of a boy who fulfills his destiny, but also makes friends along the way and discovers that magic is real. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I I don't think you did a shoddy job at all, (laughs) in fact. But let's talk about, I I guess more importantly, right, I want to ask you, what does Harry Potter mean to you? I mean, how old were you when you first picked up the book? And did you pick up the book or did you watch the first film first? Oh, okay. So um, actually, my introduction to Harry Potter is quite interesting because Mm. I didn't come to it with the first book. So I was a little bit older by the time I started reading it. Um, It was about, I think it was right after the fourth book came out um, and I was 17. So that should give you an indication of how (laughs) old I am. Um, But my, um, I think the series is very special to me because um, it was a time when my dad had been diagnosed with cancer and uh, so the whole year that he was unwell and then eventually he passed away at the end of it, um, I actually started reading the books because my aunt had bought the first four books for my much younger cousin. Mm. Um, and so she was uh, living with us first. And so the books were there. And, you know, I'm one of those that are like, the books are here. I'm going to read them because everyone's been talking about them. And uh, I started reading the first one. And then, you know, within the span of a week, I think I just devoured all four books. Um, um, and that was really my introduction. And I think it had something to do with, and, and if, if, if you know the books, you'll know that book three uh, significantly deals with 
questions of parents and death That's and right. what it means to be contending with the loss of these sorts of things. Um, and I think that's probably what hooked me. I mean, the first two books are, are, are fun, but they're essentially children's books. Mm-hmm. Uh, they set up this great world. But from the third book onwards is when I think, which is Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, is when it really sort of matures and becomes something a little bit different. And I think for me, that's why they're so special. These books helped me get through a time that was very tough for me. Um, and I didn't expect to do it by getting attached to this uh, children's series. And after that, there was no stopping. After that, like every year, the date that it comes <laughs> out, I'm like, I got to get my hands on the next book. And they're those kinds of books, right? They yep. um, they keep you wanting more if you're a fan. Um, the story is really propulsive. So yeah, that I think um, that's what makes Harry Potter special for me. Besides the fact that they're such good reads. Yeah. And, and that's what's so um, particularly interesting, right? Because I think a lot of people... Broadly speaking, um, they like to um, sort of classify Harry Potter as, you know, children's books as compared to, let's say, something, you know, Stephen King would write, for example. But and and I did read Harry Potter um, as a child. I watched the first film first. uh, And that time I was seven years old. And then I was so hooked on the first film that I wanted to know what would happen next. And that's what you know, uh, propelled me to start reading all the books. But I'm also curious because what has also made you um, hold on to Harry Potter for, you know, so dearly for so long? I mean, I, I'm one of those people too, you know, who, who grew up, you know, waiting for my Hogwarts letter, you know, <laughs> and, and then kept kept wondering why I haven't gotten it, you know, am I a muggle, you know, and, and I'm still waiting, you know, I still convince myself that, oh, maybe the, the owls couldn't find my house and, and things like that, the things I tell myself just so, you know, I'm convinced that, oh, I'm a wizard too. I just haven't gotten my letter, although I'm 28 right now <laughs> and you're supposed to get it when you're 11. So what has made you, what about the story um, that had, uh, has made you hold on so dearly to it? So I wanted to point out that your experience, I think, isn't unusual, right? Because mm-hmm. really depending on what age you were, because the books and the movies were coming out concurrently. Yep. And I think that has a lot to do with how the books um, and the movies have managed to get this huge following because there was just so many versions and products from this this particular property and story that you could consume. Um, so, and I think we can talk about that later, sort of the larger cultural significance mm-hmm. of this. But personally for me, I think um, a few things. Again, because I was slightly older, I think I was a lot more, I was a lot more invested in the storytelling. Um, I loved, I, I was someone who already loved fantasy. I loved reading um books and stories about magic and adventure and so on. And I think the great thing about the Harry Potter books is that they um, they actually do the things that all of these books in these genres do really well. Uh, so if you look at something like Lord of the Rings and if you look at Harry Potter, a lot of the tropes and a lot of the journeys and all are very similar. And if you look at other fantasy books, you'll find that too, mythology and so on. So it's not sort of terribly unusual or innovative in that sense. Mm -hmm. But then, as I said, it also brings in all of these elements that um, are fun and are adventurous and the characters are funny and different things happen in each book. So I think it's, to me, that it's the idea of something comforting. It's familiar enough, but at the same time, it throws these curveballs at you. It has characters that you just can't get enough of reading about. Um, 
you know, as you go along the journey, I've I've cried with characters, I've laughed mm-hmm. with them, yeah. I've gotten hungry reading about <laughs> meals. Um, so I think it's just that kind of book, and and that's what keeps me still so invested because I look back and the memories that I had reading the books, um, repeatedly reading the books, and then the memories of watching the films, which for me are not as significant, but still they were a, an event, right? Every time the mm-hmm. movie came out, and then you do the classic like, no, the book was better, it did this better did that better um so i think it's just that i think there's a lot in the stories and the books and and the films to con to constantly go over and i think keep falling in love with again speaking of craving right one thing i've always wanted to try have you tried butter beer well, I was lucky enough to go to the um, Harry Potter World Aww. and Universal Studios a few years ago. So yes, I have. I have. Um, what does it taste like? It's everything, <laughs> it's everything the book describes it to be, which is which is really cool. Um, I, I, I was one of those that when I walked into the gates, I just teared up mm-hmm. because um, it looked like what my imagination thought Hogsmeade or Hogwarts would look like. Um, and again, I mean... You can get you can get sort of cynical about it, and it's this huge marketing machine. It's this huge money making machine at this point. The adult part of me understood that, but I was just there for it, lah. I'm just like, oh my god, like this is what I've wanted to see since I was seventeen. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, you, we talk about you know the the marketing aspect of it. It's not just that, but it definitely contributed to how big. You know, this this franchise, it's also, you know, it highlights how big this franchise ended up being. So let's talk about that in a, a little bit more in detail. Um, with the movies, um, how big, you know, to put things into perspective, how big did they actually end up becoming? The movie specifically, um, I think really pioneered or set in place the the path for the whole slew of things that came after, right? All of these multi-sequel children's or young adults adaptations. Um, Not everything has been successful, but I think... uh, So, I mean, looking back, the first Harry Potter film came out in 2001. And that's actually just about halfway through the series. And I don't think that... While the timing may have been coincidental, I don't think it's coincidental that, again, as I said, that was when the book series sort of um, matured and grew up. And the movies do the same thing as well. But I think the beautiful thing about the books and the films is that a certain generation of people grew up with these. So you became older as the characters became older and the stories and the and the and the films matured along with you as well. And I think that has a lot to do with why these work in a way that some of the others haven't worked. Um and they've managed to maintain the audience because the audience also uh, felt like they were on a particular sort of journey with them. And I noticed now what's happening is that the people who are my age, um, who read them when they were much younger, are now introducing this journey to their kids. So it almost feels like this is going to happen again, right? Um, yeah. I'm hoping they don't make new movies. I, I don't <laughs> really want to see. And I'm, I'm also, I'm also hoping Rowling stays away from the books and the stories, that's something else that I don't necessarily want to see more of. But in terms of impact, um, I don't think these films have had really anything comparable. People have tried. Um, Some have done really well. Uh, Hunger Games is a little bit different as well because it's also set older. Um, But I think that the Harry Potter films really 
set a tone for a, a particular audience, um, a segment that can keep bringing people into the cinema over the course of seven, eight films, uh, which is huge, right? You, you never yeah. really saw that with children's movies. Exactly. And you never really saw that with children's movies with the kind of prestige that was attached to these films, the, the mm. names that acted in these movies, um, you know, Gary Oldman, uh, Kenneth Branagh, yep. um, just the caliber of the best of the British actors coming on to this product. This is essentially a children's story. You never really saw that before either. Yeah, definitely. You mean like Richard Harris, Michael Gambon, and all these people as well, right? And, you know, we, we live in an era now where it's cool to be a geek, right? I mean, it's cool to be a hardcore fan of fantasy, sci-fi, comic book movies. Uh, I mean, and these days, if you're an encyclopedia of these things, you know, you don't, as they say, get your head stuck in a toilet bowl, you know, <laughs> in, in school. You know, you can wear it like a badge of honor. And, and we always talk about, you know, how the MCU shaped geek culture. But do you think like Harry Potter, um, the Harry Potter fl- franchise played a, a huge role as well? I find that interesting to think about because mm. I think, um, I'm not sure whether the Harry Potter films, uh, sorry, the Harry Potter books and films did that on their own. I think rather they came out at a particular time that was uh, ripe for these sorts of things. The Lord of the Rings trilogy had just come out as well or was in the midst of coming out when, um, right along the time when the Harry Potter films came out, as you said, Marvel was in the early stages of being rolled out. We didn't even know where that was going to go. The internet, I think actually very significantly was... um, not at its beginning stages, but also at its stages where it isn't what it is now. It was sort of a space for communities. Like the early 2000s was a time when people were creating uh, blogs and starting up forums and creating all of these spaces to talk about all of these things that before you only could, you know, if you didn't have the internet, if you had one friend who could talk to you about fantasy or comics, you were lucky. But now you had a whole world of people across the world that you could talk to, even if you didn't really know them. Um, and then, you know, of course, Harry Potter itself set up things like Pottermore, where you could find a, a community of people who are also fans. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was necessarily just Harry Potter, but I certainly think that it came out at a time uh, when all of these things were already on their way to happening. And therefore, I think it hit a sweet spot of also getting that audience young because you'd have to be a little bit older to be into uh, Lord of the Rings or or into Marvel even. Um, But, you know, Harry Potter, you could be happily be a geek since you were 9 or 10 or 11. Also, I'm wondering, uh, you know, it may not be something, you know, the sing- singularly, it may not be the one that uh, mainstreamed geek culture, but do you think it popularized the YA, the young adult um, genre for better or worse? Um, and I'm asking this because, you know, to m- the way I look, like it seems like, you know, it's only after Harry Potter uh, came out and, and it proved to be a pop cultural juggernaut, did we start to see films like Twilight and and Hunger Games and Divergent and and Maze Runner? I mean, even the whole splitting of the final movie into a final book into two movies, right? It it seemed to start with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Yes and no. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely think Harry Potter did shape did shape the um, see because Harry Potter is not young adult actually um, okay. it's a children's book series mm-hmm. right and and even later on it doesn't actually um, it 
it is meant to be for young adults, but in some ways it also doesn't neatly fit into the categories that people use for young adult, mm-hmm. which in itself is is a bit of a fallacy because there's more to the young adult genre than just um you know, a teenage girl going through <laughs> going through these woes and a love triangle right. and an adventure and dystopia. But um yes, and I think that primarily what it did was that it created this this possibility that books could actually do this, that books could attract thousands of people waiting around the world um, for a book to come out, you know, for that, that you could do sequels, that you could write a book and expect that your audience would wait for you a year or two years later um, to read what happens next. And I think that in terms of marketing, in terms of creating events around books, um, Harry Potter definitely set that tone. I will say, though, that I don't know that anyone else has managed to hit that height. Rather, mm-hmm. what's happened after that is I feel like it, it opened up the market for booksellers and for publishers to take the segment more seriously. Um, I don't think we ever really saw many other books hit the levels of frenzy that a new Harry Potter book could. I mean, it's the best-selling series ever sold, even today. And, you know, the last book came out more than 10 years ago. So I think that it's... uh, it's it's something that we may not necessarily see again. I And certainly no one saw before. So while Harry Potter itself, I think, was a bit of a lightning in a bottle, I think that it opened up the market for books about children, for books about young people in a way that it didn't exist before. Also, the fact that adults read it as much as children did. Parents weren't just buying it for their kids. Parents were also actively reading Harry Potter for their own merit. Yeah. Do you think it also, um, you know, showed people that there is no such thing as a... Just like how you like you mentioned, you cannot put the YA um, genre, you know, in a particular box. Um, it's, you know, like Harry Potter showed that you can't put like children's books or children's stories in a particular box as well. Because although we you know, widely consider Harry Potter to be children's books, but, you know, it's it's not like, you know, 200 pages and, and very simple language. I mean, it starts off like that, but then it gets progressively thicker. And, and by the seventh book and sixth book, fifth book, you're already reading something that is, all, you know, pretty much the size, at least. It, it is like an adult book. At least it's written written that way, right? It's taken, taken as seriously as an adult book. So I... I'm always torn about this because there have been such great children's books writers Mm -hmm. before J.K. Rowling Mm -hmm. um, and there have been great ones after. And I also don't think Rowling is the best writer around or even the best children's book writer around. But again, I think that we can't not credit the series and her for defining the genre in a particular way. Some people may think that that's actually a negative. But on the other hand, um, so I'll just give you an example Mm. of, uh, say, uh, Owen Colfer, who wrote the Artemis Fowl series, um, which I love. And I think they're great. If you like children's books, you should check those out. Um, You know, that came in the wake of Harry Potter. And I'm not sure. And and that goes on for six or seven books as well. And it's now gotten other um, adjacent books. They're all really good. 
I don't know whether something like that could have come out. I don't know if Percy Jackson could have come out if it wasn't for Harry Potter. Because before that, the children's book series was viewed as something that was a, a stopgap or, or a bridge between when you were reading picture books to when you graduated to reading adult books. Um, where else? I think Harry Potter really changed that mindset um, and sort of got the marketing overlords, the publishing overlords to realize that there was more there. Do I love that that's how this came about? No, not really. But as we see with Disney or Marvel, oftentimes you do need the gatekeepers. You do need the people who are in charge of making the financial decisions to realize the value of something. Um, and with Harry Potter, they saw it just from the kind of uh, feedback and frenzy and fandom that the books inspired, right? So, Yes, I think that it did redefine children's books in a particular way. Um, it didn't change how children's books were being written. There were people writing mm. great works before, Diana Wynne-Jones, even Enid Blyton. But I think that it made people realize what was already there all along. Right, because prior to this, people although the quality was present, like people would just be like, ah, oh, okay, those are the children's book. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to buy it for my kids yeah. and things like remember that. Remember how, um, I don't know whether they still do this, but remember how Harry Potter books had two versions, the adult yes. covers and the children covers so right. that adults could read them and not feel like they were reading children's <laughs> books. That's, That's the right. level of marketing that went on. Yeah, and, and and it clearly worked, right? Because, you know, it's, I, I don't think I've ever seen, you know, this level of fanfare generated um, over books, you know, perhaps ever. I, I, and, and that's, you know, kind of unfair to many of the the great children uh, children's books uh, writers and authors that have come before and, and have come after. But, you know, we are talking about people queuing up outside bookstores across the country, not just in, in the UK, but even in Malaysia. In oh, 100%. Yeah. I ran up five flights in KLCC, <laughs> Surya KLCC, yep. uh, so that I could get to Kino to get my 50% discounted book or whatever. I've never done that for any other book. Right. Um, there's this, I have, one of my favorite memories is when, I think it was when Half-Blood Prince came out um, and I happened to be studying in Melbourne at the time and I had reserved my copy for the first day um, um, I went to the bookstore, picked it up because I took a train. And when I took the train back home and it was a 40-minute ride, practically every single person sitting in the train had the same book in their hands and wow. were reading it. It was a train full of people with like 80% of people reading The Half-Blood Prince. You know what that feels like? I don't know whether anyone else will ever get to experience that. I hope they do. I really hope they do because it's so special. On the show with me today is Sharmila Ganesan from Popcorn Culture and Buy the Book. After the break, I'll be asking her about J.K. Rowling and if her personal stance, Rowling's personal stance, that is, should, um, you know, on certain social issues, should affect the lessons we drew from ha the Harry Potter stories growing up. We'll be back on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Sharmila Ganesan from Popcorn Culture and By the Book. And we're talking about Harry Potter and how it shaped culture for an entire generation. And we're doing this in light of um, the, the 10th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows Part 2. So Sharmila, let's switch gears a bit and let's talk about, um, you know, some of the themes 
uh, in in the in the stories because we touched on how uh, you know at, at just from a surface level it is not uh, you know something very new that the story has been told many times before it's a hero's journey um, you know Star Wars also the Luke Skywalker was you know was orphaned and that's how they start the journey and and same here with Harry Potter so but but is there anything particular about the themes that you know really stuck with you over the years there's so many things Mm -hmm. um but i think the thing over the course of the years that i take away the most um and and there's a particular quote by uh, dumbledore really i'm Mm -hmm. i'm being that person i'm just going (laughs) to read out quotes um but i think it's um it's so he says it's your choices more than your abilities that define who you are I'm paraphrasing, but I think that sort of defines the entire series for me because the whole uh, the whole series and all of the different um, story arcs and character arcs you get is essentially built around this question of choices. And again, it's not hugely innovative, but I think the way the books um, emphasize this over and over again, the way the books define who is evil and who is good mm-hmm. is all revolving around this question of choice that you can always do better, that you can always choose to do the right thing. And I think the thing that, you know, you you, you mentioned Star Wars, for example, and I think the, the fact that, that those are movies and these are books is one of the significant difference. And mm-hmm. again, people will say that if you've only watched the movie, some of these themes don't come out. And I do think that that is a little bit of a pity because the thing I enjoy about the books is the fact that even the smaller characters, even characters that were around only for a couple of chapters, uh, an elf, you know, um, Characters like these get these beautiful, complex story arcs and and you get to see this question of choice and this question of um, choosing to do the right thing or the best thing uh, play out for so many different people. So for me, that's certainly one of the most powerful things. Yeah, definitely. Because even for me, I don't really... I I love the movies. Uh, don't get me wrong. I watched it so many times. Also, you know, rushing there to, on the first day to get the ticket, and, and all of that. But I have to agree that you know it, the movies were for the a lot of it. Although they had great characters, a lot of it were. I think they they sacrificed a little bit of the the depth of the themes and and all of these things for more Neville Neville story. I yes, just want to say exactly, and also like you know you you talked about the beautiful uh, you know elf stories. Um, you know in the books they even explore in depth this idea of elf enslavement and and what even the so-called good guy you know people on the good guys uh, side maybe also be you know maybe participating and being part of the problem and Hermione has a beautiful arc with with all of that uh do you did did things like as you were reading because for me like I didn't necessarily latch on very consciously to certain themes as a kid but then when I reread the books as a maybe slightly older teenager um, then i then i started to you know uh, sort of gravitate or or really think about themes like you know the ra- racism religious extremism things you know they talk about things like pure bloods versus you know if you're a mixed blood person or in the in the story you know they they they, they use the derogatory derogatory term mud blood right um they talk about fear of the other inclusivity power and greed and and you know how you know you can compare voldemort to like someone like hitler or, or like fascist uh, ruler do did these things um stick out to you where while you were reading the uh, the books or and watching the films 
See, so again, I was older, right? Mm-hmm. So um, those connections were pretty clear for me. Mm. Um, and that might even be why I kept reading them and why they were so interesting because um, these... I was so if I started reading when I was 17, you know, I was in my early 20s to mid 20s by the time I'd finished the series. So it had really and it was but when I was in college and when I was having these kinds of conversations with people around me as well. So absolutely. um, It was these themes were clear and it was part of the reason why to me it wasn't just another children's book. Um, I almost never just say that anyway, mm-hmm. but I wanted to say that that particularly because of how, um, and also these themes grew and they they sort of became bigger parts of the books as the books became bigger themselves. Um, and I think that I think that's part of what makes it so special. I I remember um, one, actually one thing that always sticks out for me more than the uh, larger themes of uh, prejudice and racism and subjugation and all that mm-hmm. is actually the, the moment in, I think in Half-Blood Prince when Harry's uh, sort of hero worship of his father as being this great person totally gets turned on its head when you realize how um, James and and Sirius and all treated mm-hmm. Snape yep. as children, and how um, and how much that that sort of uh, shifts and changes how Snape perceives himself, and and to me that moments like that are equally powerful, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's it's great that the series talks about um, prejudice and and racism and fascism and all of that, but I think these sorts of moments are equally important because those are things that. Stories like these don't typically do. They don't take a character that you're supposed to look up to, uh, your hero's dad who has passed away, and then get him thinking, well, maybe he wasn't really the nicest kid. Exactly. And one of the, the person who, you know, for many, many films, we, we, we grow more, you know, increasingly more annoyed at him. But then the twist at the end when they revealed you know, the reality of Professor Snape, I mean, that was had to be one of the most, you know, beautiful, like, heartbreaking. And, and it really makes you, you know, rethink the entire story, didn't it? And, and again, when we're talking about children's book here, to, to sort of portray, you know, a character that for the longest time just seemed like the very annoying teacher that is picking on his students and all that. And then to dive into the deeper psychological aspects, like you brought up how Harry Potter's own father played a huge role in making Snape the way he is. And then, you know, to realize that actually Snape is perhaps the, the, one of the best people um, in the story and, 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 you know, how he, what he did, you know, the roles that, the role that he played to protect Harry and all of that. And I think that was, those are the kinds of things that, that really stand out, right? Yes, and and even Voldemort uh, mm-hmm. or Tom Riddle and this question of choices when they get into his background and and again then there they look at questions of what it's like to grow up uh, in poverty in grow to grow up in a community that ostracizes you and what that might result in uh, what happens when you grow up and nobody um, or no your family is made to feel like they don't belong uh, but ultimately also the question of choice and what you might choose to do or what you might choose to become so. I I mean I think there's a lot there. Every time, every time I reread the books, I I 
pick up on these things that I forgotten or I hadn't noticed before. And I love it. I, I also 100% remember how at a particular point in time when you're waiting for the books to come out, um, you know, the Harry Potter heartbreak or the expectation that you would leave the book crying was so real. Mm-hmm. And this started with like book four or book five, yeah. you know, where, you know, someone you loved would die or you would, there'd be a reveal and, and everyone would be talking about, oh my God, you know, like you are going to, you are going to have your heart broken at the yeah. end of this book. And and that I was such that. a, the, the amount of investment and emotional investment people had in these characters. I don't even know if you can understand what it was like if you hadn't gone through it along with the rest of the, the fandom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, Sharmila, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to do this, but I think it's important that we do, you know, let's talk about, you know, the, the whole JK Rowling problem, mm. right? Because... <laughs> I, How do you solve a problem like Rowling? Yeah, because, you know, especially in recent times, um, she's gotten herself entangled, in, you know, in a couple of controversies. And I think, you know, like, especially this series of tweets that she put out. So I, I'm just going to read out what she tweeted. It's a little bit long, but I think just to give people who don't know some context, right? So at one point, J.K. Rowling uh, tweeted this, right? You know, if sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. Um, if if sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. And, and you know, she goes on to say, I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth. And and she goes on to say that, you know, she respects um, trans people and she would, you know, you know, stand up for them if they are discriminated. But by, you know, her her idea is that, you know, if you if we try to sort of make things make things too fluid, then, you know, are you erasing you know the 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 lives of of the ex, the lived experiences of females. Now these series of tweets, among other things, got her a ton of backlash. Even the cast of the films, like Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson, spoke up, and many fans have come out and said that it's a shame that someone who talks about equality through her stories can't practice what she preaches in real life. How do you process all of this? I'm going to take, I think, what might be a relatively easy way out and mm-hmm. say I largely don't um, when it comes <laughs> to the books. Right. Uh, and that might be a cheat and I might change my mind, mm-hmm. um, you know, with other complicated people, you know, whether you want to talk about Michael Jackson or um, uh, Woody Allen. I haven't had as much of a difficulty in deciding where I stand. So for instance, I've decided I don't watch Woody Allen films anymore mm. just because I find it difficult to not to put aside who he is. But with the Harry Potter books and J.K. Rowling, um, for the moment, where I stand at is the books are their own thing. Um, I don't necessarily engage with Rowling as much. When I do read these things, I'm I'm not sure where she's coming from. Some of the times, yes, she sounds hateful. Some of the times she sounds out of touch. Um, or perhaps just sort of weirdly, it's as if she doesn't realize how much power she holds, right? Yeah. Which is a weird thing for someone who's one of the richest women in the world, who's written one of the most well-known book series in the world. And I think that angers me. Um, 
for me, the only way that I can continue to maintain and, and enjoy this book series, which I want to do for the moment, is to divorce that the kind of the kind of things that she's been saying or a lot of this discussion around what she's saying. Because I think it's also worth pointing out that it's the age of Twitter that's kind of birthed this, right? Mm-hmm. We might be having very different conversations with her if we were having them in person or if we were having them in a different way. Uh, but, you know, there's something there's something quite sort of weird about having these conversations on social media where you feel like you're talking to each other, but actually you're not. Everyone's just talking at each other. Um, so I think that for me, the and it's it's probably not, the best answer for a lot of people. And I think everyone should make this choice for themselves. For me, it's that the books are their own thing. And for the moment, I don't let the uh, rolling drama or um, the kinds of things that she says reflect back for me onto the books. Um, I get, I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of post analysis of her books, like, oh, you know, if you go back and you read this, you can find strains of this in her books, or you can find strains of these kinds of thoughts. And that's what Though- I, w- I wanted to ask. Sorry to interrupt, Shabila. That's yeah. what I wanted to ask, right? Because should these themes be interpreted differently? Like, because it, it's different compared to, okay, like, w- like, you know how, for example, if there's a musician, and then years later, one day, he or she unfortunately takes takes their own life and then people tend to you know go back to the songs and see like okay you know they were actually sending out uh, messages here and there and you know we should have listened or for example when when if a movie and then it it sort of comes out that the the writers or the, the directors are sexual harassers for example and then you people will tend to go and no actually if you look back at this scene you know, you can see the the kind of misogyny that was infused, you know, layers underneath. And I'm wondering if if we should do that. We we should even do that with with Harry Potter. Is that something you do where you now you look back at the books and and certain things stand out? I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. But I also completely acknowledge that books um, and films, the meaning is made as much by the author as it is by the reader. So if you read those books and those stand out to you and therefore you feel that this is no longer something you can support, that is absolutely your right and it's absolutely valid because it is about the experience you take away as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, I, I am a firm believer in that the sort of the meaning and the uh, joy of a lot of these things is a joint process. The the creator can create them, but once they're out there, people who read them can interpret and will interpret them in whatever ways they want. Now, is it wrong that if you, like me, continue to find joy in these books and what you want to take away and choose to take away is the, um, you know, the camaraderie or the joy or the growing up or the uh, discussion about prejudice, why not? Because those are great messages to take away. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. Um, as we wrap up this conversation, I just want to ask, like, you know, something very, very basic, right? Will you? Do you think you will ever, ever get bored of Harry Potter? Because it's been years, right? And and I'm guessing, uh, okay, at least for me, I I still love it to pieces, but I don't necessarily read it as much as I once used to where like, you know, at that point I was just, that was the only books I used to read again and again and again and again and again, Harry Potter on repeat, right? Movies and books. I haven't read the books perhaps in, you know, 
three years, four years now, and now like occasionally I I read it. So what what's your relationship with with Harry Potter now? Well, I'm certainly not bored of it. Mm-hmm. I I really only went to Harry Potter World about five years ago, and then I I'm. I legitimately think if I went again, I would cry all over again. But I think that there is a certain uh, sense of uh, it was a, it was a particular point of my life when I was really into the books. I don't know whether I would reread the entire series again. I might maybe at some point, but I think there are other things to read and other things to watch as well. Um, and unfortunately, with the Harry Potter sort of the Harry Potter world, a lot of the newer stuff that's come out hasn't really been the best. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, I liked, I liked Fantastic Beasts, the movie. I didn't like the subsequent ones, the play that she wrote, uh, Cursed Child. I, maybe yeah. I would have enjoyed watching the play, yeah. but I didn't love the story of the, 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 the play itself. So, I think it's also a case of with with fewer new things to engage with. So I find I'm always thrilled and happy to talk about Harry Potter with anyone. Um, and that's a great way to revisit it for me. I'm not bored of it, but I think it sort of sits very neatly in a particular space. And I don't always feel the need to revisit it over and over anymore. Well, Do you know which yes. house you're in? Oh, yes. I'm in Ravenclaw and I'm very proud of that. <laughs> See, <laughs> I'm in you? Hufflepuff. And initially, I was like, wait, what? I'm not a Gryffindor, but I've learned to own it. And now I'm a proud Hufflepuff. Yes, Hufflepuff is great too. You know, like all the houses are great. You know, sometimes certain... That's what what you're supposed to take away. Yes. On that note, Sharmila, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for asking me to do this. It was so much fun. That was Sharmila Ganesan from BFM's Popcorn Culture and By The Book, talking to me about Harry Potter and how it shaped culture for an entire generation so if you missed any part of our chat you can check out the podcast on the bfm app bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from i'm dashan johan and this has been today i learned bfm 89.9 thank you for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on itunes bfm 89.9 the business station